Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with frequent public presenter, Dr. Lucy Jones. We thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. And now let's get to it. This week, Lucy and I had the pleasure of presenting to a group of business leaders in Los Angeles on the lessons learned from the pandemic at this point that could be applied to the next disaster. This was part of the Together for LA initiative that we've helped lead and be a part of for the last year or so. What follows today is a portion of that program, the question and answer portion, that digs into the ways this information might be actually used by business leaders and business organizations. You'll hear us start by talking about how you use disaster science, we call it IT, that's the expert information available to prepare communities for the next event. And as part of the discussion, you'll even hear our moderator, Angela, ask about references, a question from the audience that where people could go to get more information. So take a listen to this small portion of a larger conversation and then consider watching the full recording on our website, drlucyjonescenter.org. One of the things that we often hear when we have these kinds of discussions, when we used to be in rooms together, or even sometimes when we were on screen together, people would look around in disbelief. They would hear what Lucy had to say and feel like two reactions. Is there really something I can do? And if we know all this, how come we're not able to use it? And I think that's the key here. So Lucy, maybe you could speak for a moment about how do we start to use it in a way that makes it useful? Of course, today we really focused some on the things that are keeping us from using it. And I think that feeling of efficacy, as I look back, is realizing that's a big part of the way. Both in climate change and in earthquakes, I've noticed that the scientists are often much more optimistic than the general public. And we tend to do a pretty bad job of communicating that because we always qualify everything, right? Scientists never say anything absolutely. It's always probably it's this. A fundamental being science is knowing that you could be proved wrong. That's the whole thing of peer review and all of that. So we tend to not be very direct about our statements. If I wanted to share one big thing is it's like, these things really do make a difference. It's very hard to see what didn't happen. You undertake some action, you've strengthened some bridge and it doesn't fall down. Well, it's not like all bridges were falling down and that one stays up. It's hard to see that that investment made a difference. I'll go out there though and say, there's a pandemic lesson. When you look at what island countries that had a easier time really isolating things, but I, I look at New Zealand and the way they shut down so quickly. We shut down, but we didn't quite do it, right? When they did it and really did it, they succeeded. And so the pandemic is actually a place where we get to compare because it was, became worldwide and every country dealt with it a different way. But you then have to follow through. Remember how we all heard Sweden was handling it by letting everybody get sick? Well, in fact, it turns out their outcomes were really bad. So we have that evidence. In the earthquakes, they're infrequent enough. It's hard for you to get that direct experience, but the scientists have it. We know what works. And there are some really basic things. And of course, Los Angeles and many other cities now have undertaken mandatory retrofit of software story buildings because it really works. And the estimate is actually you get $22 back for every dollar you invest in this in terms of all the disruption that doesn't happen. 
even taking into account that earthquakes aren't that common. So it's one of the most cost-effective and people have really gone and done it. There will be an earthquake at which we'll see, it's like, oh, all of these, look how much better Los Angeles and Pasadena and Santa Monica are because they didn't lose these buildings. It'll be too late, <laughs> right, for the others if we just wait for the earthquake. And unfortunately, I think that's the biggest issue, isn't it? That emotional connection, we have the emotional connection right after the earthquake. It's easy to see the consequences and it's easy to act then. And it is very hard to get the votes to spend money without that emotional driver of the disaster we just saw. I'm listening to Lucy talk and I'm thinking about what we're really talking about. And I think I want to go back to that early slide you talked about, Lucy, when you said like the damages, the physical damages were minimal. I think about our built environment. I think about Century City and I think about Hollywood. I think about LAX. I think about the ports, obviously downtown LA and all the suburban centers, right? Warner Center, Glendale, right. et cetera, around the region. When we think about our built environment was not affected by this disaster, yet we had a tremendous amount of death, illness, and emotional drain. In the earthquake or even the flood or the wildfire that will eventually hit us because of climate change, how do we manage the physical space versus the emotional space? And would you prioritize one over the other in getting ready? I would prioritize the emotional space because the physical space is somewhat easier to do. And actually, I guess here's another piece of that. The work we did at the USGS where we looked at several different disasters. We did two earthquake models, one for LA and one for the Bay Area, the flood and a tsunami. So we had four different cases, similar methodology, but it was like, okay, what's gonna be the utility disruption and when are these different businesses gonna be able to come back and et cetera. And for quite different reasons, right? You take out different things in the different disasters. Every one of them, the business disruption doubled the losses, at least. The business disruption happens for a couple of reasons. One is the things like utilities disrupted, but the other one is people choosing to leave. If you've now lost enough and I can work for Google from my parents' home in Illinois and you get up and you leave, that's a person who's not contributing to the local economy. The degree to which people leave will really determine our recovery. And that's determined by much of the emotional ability to cope with it. How bad is it gonna feel? I used to use the line, how many of you will stay when you haven't had a shower in a month? Cause we lose our water. That could drive you out, but it might also be just, you feel too afraid. You don't know how to cope with those aftershocks and you don't have somebody to talk to. So the emotional connections to the community is something Los Angeles is not well known for developing, right? <laughs> we all, us past each other on the freeway, our image is one so that we don't have emotional connections to each other. If that's really true, we are going to really, really struggle to recover. So I'm looking at the attendee list, and I recognize a number of these names as being leaders in communities across Los Angeles, whether they're in business. I see some chambers of commerce. I see some nonprofit associations. I see some nonprofit leaders themselves. And I think if you look at this list and there's all our attendees, if this group, for instance, is an example, found a way to connect with each other, we'd be that much stronger. Now, it's going to be difficult because you don't see each other's names to be able to do that. So I think that the call really is to look back at your own organization, that if you look at what's happening in your chamber of commerce and figure, you know, we know our board of directors and the 20 active chamber members, but there's about 300 members that are pay their dues that we don't know. And maybe some of them are distant. I think our friends in Hollywood get people from all over the country that join their chamber of commerce, for instance. But there's folks that are in neighborhoods or in office buildings that you don't actually see. 
The work is to really connect with them because that connection serves in building resilience for our community and it serves your purpose as an organization as well. The more engaged they are with the LAEDC, the Hollywood Chamber, the Century City Chamber, the more effective the organization is and the more connected they will be, the sense of place that they will have when crisis strikes. I think that's what's a key takeaway here is that the work of association work is the work of resilience building. The more connected you are and engaged they are, the more effort we make in that space, the more resilient we will be when the disaster comes. Thank you, John. And we have a question that came in. We have a couple questions that I'd like to address to either of you. Would you be able to provide any published references of cost-benefit analysis that could be used to perhaps convince a board of directors to budget to create disaster business continuity plans and provide funding to actively practice the plan on a regular basis? There is a report from the National Institute of Building Safety in 2019 called Mitigation Saves 2.0. And this was a bunch of engineers going through for all the different perils. So it's done for earthquakes and floods and windstorms, et cetera, and saying, what's the value? So it includes the fact that earthquakes don't happen very often. It even includes a discounted rate of money so that money you spend now is worth more than the money you'd be spending to recover 20 years from now when it happens. So all of that's in there, but it also includes losses beyond just what happens to the building owner or the property owner and also looks at the disruption to the community and the business disruption losses and all of these things. So it's a bit more about physical sort of things rather than building business continuity planning. That's where I gave that number of $22 saved for each on the software story. They analyzed various mitigation activities individually, and that was one of the most cost-effective ones. Overall, earthquakes come out, it's like 3 or $4 saved for every dollar spent. So there's lots of things that are really worthwhile and that show up in there. The thing about business continuity, the one other thing I would suggest is, I said the USGS created four scenarios. The last one was called Haywired, which was about an earthquake on the Hayward Fault. There's a lot of reports that have been done with that one. One of the really important parts of it, they did a lot more of looking at how well community held together and this idea of displaced population. So there's a study by Lori Johnson in Haywired, actually trying to quantify what might be the population losses that would result from this earthquake. Hypothetical earthquake, but dig it in detail and you start seeing the impacts of these various factors. Have you seen important progress in handling disasters during the last five years in Los Angeles? In what ways? I've seen us go forward and back. So I do think that there has been a willingness to grapple with earthquake losses, even though we haven't had a recent earthquake. Part of it came out of having ShakeOut and the drill and the city of Los Angeles, but then SCAG had a big project and a lot of other cities got engaged. There's an aspect at which we've stepped back though. There's a lot of things we lost with the pandemic. You're not gonna keep backup earthquake supplies if you can't afford to put dinner on the table today. And when we are dealing with the pandemic and all the disruption that's happened from that, it's been hard to have much planning going on about the rest of it. One of the things we've gotten out of our research and then some of the work that John and I have been doing, it keeps on getting back to community. You don't need fancy information. You need to have sat down with the other businesses in your local community and talked about how you can help each other when, if something happens. That I think isn't happening very much right now. To me, it's the one thing that we need to do more of if we really want to get this. Mitigation helps. All those physical things help. 
building codes are incredibly important, but in the end, whether or not the community survives and the way in which the community survives is going to be how much we're helping each other. Let's leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.